All right, so, um, so for those of you guys that know me pretty well, you know that like a, pra- a place that I frequent pretty often, like so much that I, I should probably like own one of these places someday in my life is Pete's Coffee. And I go there all the time, right? And one day, I'm there probably at 6 or 7 o'clock every single morning just reading or doing something, right? And one morning, I was at 6 o'clock just a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm typing on my computer. I don't really remember what I'm, what I'm looking at, what I'm researching, what I'm, whatever. And uh, I noticed that, that at the side of my eye that there's a group of well-dressed guys coming in. They're all wearing white shirts and they, they get in line for a while and they go to the, get their coffee and then they all sit down next to me. But out of the side of my eye as they sat down, I just kind of waved and smiled real quick and I noticed that all of the guys are wearing shiny black plaques right here. Now if you know me like any, at all, you know that I get super excited to talk to Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. I'm probably the only person on planet earth, right, where these people knock on your door and they open up and they're like, do you have a minute to talk about the Lord Jesus? I'm like, I sure do, right? Like I'm probably like the only person that gets amped, right? I'm like, oh come on in, grab a seat, kind of get you anything, right? Um, so, so I get super excited. I take my headphones off. I'm kind of listening to their conversation a little bit. But I go on my computer because, of course, I have notes on Mormonism like everyone, right? And so I, I get in there. I'm doing a quick refresher course, right, because I have a five-point argument that I'm about to give to these people about, the, about who Jesus is, right? And so uh, I, 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 I read, it, read up real quick, and I turn over to them, and I, and I make a point to say good morning to them, right? I go, I go, hey, good morning, guys. And I'm, like, really excited, really eager to start this conversation. And all four of the guys, like, turn over to me, and they're like, what's up, dude? And, and, and I notice that... It didn't say elder on the black plaque as it would if they were Mormons. It said farmers and merchants, which means they were bank tellers. These people worked at a bank. And I was so thrown off my game, I was like this. I looked down and I was like, uh, you guys work at the bank? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, interest rates, right? Like, I, I was like loans. I, I was so thrown off my game. I, I didn't know how to have this conversation. Now that I had this new knowledge that these people weren't Mormons, I had no idea what to say. I was just like, cool, 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 right? Like, I was, I was, it was so awkward. And so anyways, we spoke for a few minutes, and they probably thought I was the most awkward, random dude they've ever met, which that day I was the most awkward, random dude they've probably ever met. And, and to say the least, I wasn't prepared to talk to these people about Jesus, their worldview, or anything along those lines. And if we'd be honest, and maybe look, yeah, but I think if we just be honest, most of us probably feel pretty unprepared to have a faith-based conversation with um, someone we know isn't a Christian. And it could be for a few different reasons. The, number one, it could be maybe we have a lack of knowledge. They're going to be like, well, what about the whole like Adam and Eve thing? And there was like this flood and Noah and yada, 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 right? Like, what about that whole thing, right? And so you'd be kind of a, a little bit confused or, or whatever it is. And, and so maybe it could just be a lack of knowledge. And you're like, oh, I don't really want to like talk about my faith with people because like, they maybe ask me a question that I don't, I don't know, and that's going to be, that's going to be like intense or something like that. Or, or um, we think it could be uh, someone else's job, right? So you guys probably think it's my job, and I think it's your job, but really it's our job to talk about our faith with people, right? And then the, the last thing is maybe we just lack the courage to have a conversation with somebody about, about faith or about what they believe or whatever it is, um, because we just really want them to like us. And if we start saying like, Hey, do you know who Jesus is? They're going to be like, oh, great. You know, like, and they're, and they're not going to like us. And we're like, ah. Oh. So we, we, we lack the courage to confront somebody to ask them questions about their worldview, what they believe, because we want people to like us. So one of the, one of the things that this series is really going to be about is it's going to be helping us kind of be more confident in our faith so we can talk about it, so we can maybe step out and ask others, what do they believe, right? What do they believe about, you know, God or about the universe, about whatever it is? And so if there's a window, maybe you and I can share our faith with them. 
In fact, I thought about, because we all have these people in our lives, right? If I were to say, think of somebody in your life that doesn't go to church, that hates church, or that, you know, like thinks Christians are weird or Bible thumpers or whatever it is, right? You have a person that pops into your mind, whoever that person is, right? They're the they's of our lives, those people of our lives. I thought about calling this series, which is uh, Fifty Shades of They, <laughs> but I'm glad I didn't because Cody just ended a dating series. That would be kind of weird, right? So um, one of the difficult things I've learned is, uh, think about being a Christian is, is you know what you believe, and you're pretty excited about what you believe. In fact, you probably have had some life change, right? There's some been moments and markers in your life where, like, you're like, wow, my life has really changed. My, my attitudes, my behaviors, my thoughts, my actions, who I'm hanging out with. You've had these significant moments maybe in your life. But every once in a while, there's someone that kind of takes a shot at your faith, right? Or, or kind of says something, you know, oh, you're, you're one of those, those Christians. I mean, you really believe that, you know, Noah's Ark and... And all those. I mean, do you really believe that kind of stuff, right? Or maybe it was that one philosophy class, right? You had your freshman year in college, and the teacher was just going hard after, uh, after Christians, but it was kind of like a one-sided conversation, so you couldn't really, like, fire back or whatever it was. Or maybe it was a group of friends that you were with, and one of them was talking about how bad of a church experience they had, right? And just before you were able to tell them about your incredible church experience or, or whatever it was, the subject kind of changes, and you're kind of now just left kind of off-balanced, or at least somewhat discouraged. But here's something I, I've learned, and I think most Christians would be honest, that, that, that we really aren't prepared to talk about our faith with other people. And in a large measure, I think that's the church's fault. I think I have a huge role in that. But I also think you have a huge role in that as well, and we're going to be talking about that in a sec. Now, the other thing I think uh, I've learned is most people most people don't really think through what they believe, right? They're not, they're not really contemplating, like, really, what do I believe? Or at least they can't really articulate it in a way that, like, makes sense, right? One of the things I, I love doing is going to coffee shops or whatever it is and just sparking up conversations with people. Hey, man, like, what's up? And they'll, they'll say, what are you doing? And it's like, it's just such an easy, like, oh, I'm a pastor. And they're like, either like, oh, you know, or they're like, oh, well, tell me about that. And so then it opens up a, a great segue to have a conversation. Sometimes I'll be on planes and I'll just, hey, what's up, man? And they're like stuck. And now like, they're like, I tell them a pastor and they're like stuck. They're literally stuck by me for 12 hours. And I'm just like, yes, right? Uh, in a loving way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, and I love it. I love asking people, what do they believe? Tell me about your worldview, right? And here's the reality. Everyone has a worldview. A, a, a definition of a worldview is kind of as the word suggests. It's an over, uh, overall view of the world. It's a non-physical view of the world, but rather a philosophical view, an all-encompassing perspective on everything that exists and everything that matters to us. I want you to think of a worldview as like glasses, right? It, it's, the, it's how you see the world around you, right? It answers the question, where do our morals come from, right? What is right? What is wrong? Or it answers the question, why are we here? Why do you have a heart that beats and a mind that is cognitively conscious and can understand the world around us, right? So why are you here? That's your purpose. Or where are we from? Right? Are we from apes and, and dust or, or, what, or stardust? I mean, what, where are we from? That's our origins. And the last question is, where do we go when we die? Right? I mean, we, is, this, there, is there an immaterial part of us that transcends all space and time and goes to heaven or hell or, or whatever it is? Or what happens to us? Do we become just the ground again? Or what is that? See, everyone has an answer or at least believes something about these fundamental questions. Therefore, everyone has a worldview. But all, the question I want to ask is, but are, are all worldviews good? That is to say that are they logically consistent and coherent? Do they make sense? The other day I was getting my hair cut at Supercuts because I'm super fancy. And um, it's kind of my regular joint, right? And, and so every like two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, I go in and I go at the same time. So the same 
few ladies are there, whatever it is, and they're all older ladies, and I walk in, and, and uh, they always say, they always go, all the preacher boys here, uh, we're going to get blessed today, and I go, mm, amen, uh, and so I grab a seat, right, and, uh, and I love kind of like just talking to them, right, and so they ask me some, hey, what do you believe about like, heaven, and what do you believe about hell, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> uh, and so I get excited, right? And I'm like, this, this is like, I'm a Christian. This is what I believe, right? You already know that because I'm a pastor and you're blessed. But, you know, and, and I start telling them about this and that. And, they, and I finally say, well, hey, I've never really asked you guys, right? I mean, you know what I do for a living. But, but what do you believe in, right? What do you believe about heaven? What do you believe about hell? And both of them, I was the only person in the shop at this time. And um, both of them said, well, we believe in reincarnation. Okay, well, let's talk about that. In fact, one of the, the one that spoke up first um, was a, a Native American, actually. She, um, she's in her 60s, and she was born on an Indian reservation, right? So she says that she believes in um, reincarnation. And uh, she believes that when people, some people go to heaven, she doesn't know who and how, but some people go to heaven, and others, uh, their souls go into trees or goes into plants or animals or things along those lines. And so I said, that's interesting. So I said, rhetorically speaking, just rhetorically speaking, um, the Bible that I have in my car uh, that says that reincarnation like, isn't really compatible with like, Christianity or isn't real, could that quite possibly be your grandfather? Right? Could the paper actually be made out of a tree that someone you know passed away and their soul's now in that book? And she said, well, how do you explain deja vu? And I was like, you got me. I was like, I have, I have no idea how you explain deja vu. I said it politely, though, because I didn't want to give her to give me like a reverse mohawk, but <laughs> Rachel Magic's like, oh yeah, it's like, we're like, oh gosh. Um, so are, are all worldviews good worldviews to have? And I want to suggest that, that no, not all worldviews are good perspectives to have on the world. And so over the next few weeks, here's kind of some stuff that we're going to do together. We're going to kind of journey and examine other worldviews, maybe other religious systems or other scientific approaches to the world, and as they stack up to the Christian worldview. And we're going to do this, obviously, in a, in a non-judgmental way, but a loving way, and in a compassionate way to really see which ones make most sense. Now, to do this, we're going to be jumping into, um, uh, into the book, into a man. Uh, his name is Peter. And, and Peter really knew this. And Peter was kind of an interesting guy. In fact, he started just as an average dude. He was a, he was a fisherman. But one day, Jesus comes kind of strolling on by and says, hey, Peter, I want you to come follow me. And Peter says, all right, I'll follow you. And what's really interesting is he steps off of the pages of, or, I'm sorry, he's steps off of kind of a fisher boat into the pages of history. And, and in fact, if you kind of grew up Catholic, you know that, what is up with this mic? If you grew up uh, Catholic, you, you probably know Peter as being maybe the first pope, right? And, and so Peter has some interesting stuff to say. He's an important dude. He says this in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, revere. Now, revere means to kind of set aside or make really, really, really important or honor, respect, admire. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Kind of, in other words, like, listen, um, now back when he was talking, Caesar would be an emperor, right? So decide once and for all that the emperor is not your Lord, or that money and materialism is not your Lord, the thing that you're going to bow down to, invest your life in, or, or that your job is not your Lord, or, or that he or she is not your Lord. So he says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer. Now, Here's what's interesting, and I love this. This is one of my favorite scriptures because, because of a word in here, and the word is answer. Answer in, in Greek is the word apologia. It's where we get apologetics, which is kind of the, the defense, that's what it means in English, of the Christian faith, of the Christian worldview. It, it, it examines kind of the world around it and, and, and different religious systems and says, does this make sense? Is this best explanation of the evidence of our world? And it says, to give an answer to everyone who asks, and this is the part, if you have your Bibles, highlight this. Uh, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So what is he saying here? 
He's saying that you need to be ready and prepared to give an answer for why you have hope and faith in Jesus. And that makes things a little bit easier. Because the question is, why have you chosen to follow Jesus? And that's actually a question I'm going to be asking you guys a few times tonight. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? It isn't explained to me the cosmological argument and the teleological argument for God's existence and how that begs for an intelligent designer. That's not, that's not what Peter's saying here. It is why are you personally following Jesus? Be ready to defend your hope and your confidence that you have in Christ and who he claimed to be. See, if you and I were to ask Peter, or really any of the disciples, by the way, who 11 of them out of the 12 were, were, were murdered in, in some of the most graphic, intense ways. Some were dipped in wax, elevated um, in a place called Nero Circus. They were elevated up above the, the city and, and lit on fire for candles at night or fed the lions or they would have horses on, on each side of, of their limbs and run all four different directions. I mean, some intense things. In fact, Peter, Peter said, I'm not even worthy to die the same way as my Lord, as Jesus. And so the Romans said they had a sick sense of humor. They crucified him, as the legend goes, upside down, where his head was towards the ground. So if you were to ask Peter, any of the 11 disciples who were willing to die for what they believed, their faith in Jesus, why do you believe in Jesus? It wouldn't be because they heard the song Reckless Love. That wouldn't be the answer. They would give us one answer, and it a one-worded answer, the resurrection. That would be the reason they believed in Jesus. If you were to, I were to ask any of the disciples, why do you follow Jesus? They would say, okay, dude, this is crazy. On a Friday, we saw the dude die, and on a Sunday... We were at the beach having double-doubles with him. So we followed him. And you would go, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that totally makes sense, right? And so Peter says, listen, okay, in light of all of that, here's how you're supposed to talk about your faith, how you're supposed to uh, share your faith with other people. But do this with gentleness. Now, that's super important for us to understand. Do this with gentleness. In fact, I have some pictures of you that this is exactly what it's not supposed to be. Have you guys ever heard of the Westboro Baptist Church? It's pretty famous it's in the news. You could, I think I have a few photos. Yeah, so, and go to the next one. This is not, this is not gentle. This is not the way that God said, I want you to talk about your faith. I want you to be a witness to the world this way. I think, I think honestly, to be honest with you, I, like, I see these images and they make me angry. Like, I think God has a special place in hell for these people because they're claiming to be under the umbrella of Christianity, to be loving people, yet they proclaim a hate that I think that, that, is, that is so counter to the gospel of who Jesus claimed to be. And he says, don't do, do this with gentleness. This isn't a put down. This isn't, oh, you sinners. I'm better than you because I go to church or I know more than you or, or this isn't a competition. He says, but do this with gentleness and you can go to the next part of the verse and respect. Now here is the part I think the Christian church has royally screwed up, especially when it comes to like some very controversial topics, gender dysphoria, it could be gay marriage. I think the church has royally messed some of this stuff up. I think the, theologically, I, I'm, I believe in orthodox theology and, 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 and marriages between a man and a woman, but that does not mean that I can't love people that have different sexual orientations than me. That's not mean that, that, I, that I hate them, that I'm angry with them. It means that I love them. I go above and beyond to care for them. And I think the church has royally messed this up because we're disrespectful. A lot of us, when we think about these things, or at least you have a church experience in the past that someone was disrespectful for you and it's tainted your view of the entire Christian worldview and faith. Because an imperfect person was trying to bring a perfect message and royally screwed it up. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, how you live is just as important as what you say. And, and look, there are going to be people who 
who don't believe what you believe, and they're going to look for a reason not to like you. And one of the reasons they're going to look for a reason not to like you is because your behavior convicts them. See, while they're all getting drunk, you're not. While they're out sleeping around, you know that God has a purpose for sex and it's not to be abused. While they're out cheating their way through college or whatever it is, you're willing to take a lower grade to keep your integrity. See, when people are critical, I love it. When people are critical of you for your beliefs or critical of you for your morality, they're not critical because they think you're wrong. The reason they are critical of you is because they know they are wrong. They know that they shouldn't be getting drunk. They know that sex, when abused, has consequences. They know that cheating is wrong. And Peter goes, listen, when you live out your Christian values, when you live out the morality of a Christian, you're going to have people be critical of you, but, but don't give anyone a convincing or valid reason to be critical of who you are. So our job is to do two things. The first is we're to have a response for why we believe what we believe. And that's your personal story of why you follow Jesus. And second is you need to live a life that reflects your proclamation that Christ is Lord. At Biola, one of my, my teachers uh, many years ago shared a story with me that there was an incredible story of our Christian ancestors really living this out. It all takes place about 70 years um, after the death uh, of Jesus. Um, and uh, the date's about 100, 110 AD. And Trajan was the emperor of, of the Roman Empire. And, and every different Roman Empire had a, or, uh, emperor had a different rules about emperor worship. And Trajan, however, specifically really liked being worshipped. And so he implemented a rule that everyone was to worship him like a god. And this was more of a political move. I mean, he knew he wasn't a god. But he knew that, that uh, by worshiping the emperor, you were essentially swearing your allegiance to the government. You were saying you were going to be a good citizen. You were going to follow them and not you know, have an uprising or anything along those lines. And so under Trajan, uh, persecution really broke out against the Christians um, because they would, wouldn't swear, swear allegiance to him. They would only swear allegiance to Jesus. And so there was a governor during this time um, who, whose name was uh, Pliny the Younger, and he was uh, the governor of a, of a little place um, in a providence uh, that's now known today as Turkey. And um, one day the, the mailman comes by and hands him a letter, and he reads the letter, and essentially the letter was sent out to all of the, all of the, um, uh, the governors in, in the region, and it was, hey, this is what I need you to do. I need you to round up all of the Christians from as far as you possibly can, go into the house churches, find out where people are getting baptized, whatever it is, round them all up, and I want you to jail them. And so he goes, all, all right, and he goes, why? And in the note it says that um, because they're terrible people, right? They lie, they steal, um, and uh, they're evil. Most importantly, they're dangerous to the empire. And that's literally what the letter said. And so here's what's really interesting, and you can Google this. Um, there are letters going back and forth from Trajan and Pliny uh, talking about uh, Christians after he has kind of rounded them all up. And Pliny goes, all right, hey, listen, we've gathered a lot of them up. We've tortured them, some of them. We've imprisoned others. Um, and, and, and yeah, most of them are, are, are in jail. What are we supposed to be doing with these people called Christians? And these exchanges, you can see kind of why Pliny has this kind of uh, dilemma on how to handle the situation with the Christians. Because in the letter, he begins to describe uh, what he's seeing, and he sends it uh, to Trajan. He sends this, and I think I have it. It says this, and to bind themselves. So he's saying, he's essentially in the part just before this, he, he's giving an orderly account of what these people do every single day. And it says the Christians wake up early in the morning, they sing songs of gratitude together, and mo most of them are in jail, by the way, at this time, or in, in somewhat prisons. And he says, and to bind themselves by oath, so they make a promise not to commit some crime. Hey, hey you said in your letter that they're like bad people, like they're, they're like, 
writing with graffiti, like crosses on the wall, right? Jesus is, and they're doing, you know, like, but they're, they're not. Actually, they're, they're doing the opposite. They're making promises not to commit any type of crime. They're making promises not to commit any type of fraud. So they're, they're not trying to get away out on their taxes or cheat on tests or anything along those lines. Or they're not stealing in any way theft or adultery. So they're, they're making commitments actually to their spouses, their wives, or their husbands to be faithful, not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. So they're people of their word. They're men and women of the word. When they say they're going to do something, they do it. So he says, when this was over, their mourning it was their custom to depart and assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. You're like, what the heck is ordinary and innocent? Is it like gluten-free? No, it's not, that's, that's not ordinary and innocent food. Organic? No, no. So there was a rumor, and this is super important, there was a rumor going around uh, during the first and, uh, and second um, century that Christians ate babies. That was the rumor that was going around, and, and that Christians ate the flesh and drank the blood of newborn babies. Now, where on earth would they misinterpret that from? Communion, right? They heard Jesus say, like, drink my flesh, eat my blood. And they literally thought, like, we're literally supposed to, like, eat this dude's flesh and his blood, right? Like, the metaphorical part of it, they didn't understand. So the Romans literally took it seriously. And so Pliny's going, uh, oh, awesome, incredible emperor who could kill me. Um, you wanted me to round up all of these, these, these people. We call them Christians, I think, but, but they're like the best citizens that we, we have in the entire Roman Empire. I mean, they're, they're awesome, great people. The way they love one another, the way they care for one another, the, one they, the way they meet each other's needs, they're the best citizens that we, we have in the entire Roman Empire. So why are we arresting them? I mean, they're committed to being good people. They're committed to being incredible citizens. See, here's what's important for you and I to understand from this story. These Christians were living a life that no one could slander. So far that this, their reputation for being good people in the end was actually going to save them. Could the same be said about you? See, the most powerful force to bring others to Christ is not a scientific approach to apologetics, an understanding of cosmology and biology and Darwinism evolution. The most powerful force to bring others to Christ is what we call moral apologetics. In other words, it's your lifestyle. It is your love that you have for people. See, that's how we got here today. And that's why Christianity is the world's largest religion in the entire world. 2.7 billion people, 33% of the entire world is Christians. And that's because early on, there were people that didn't just give lip service to their faith. They actually allowed the words of Jesus to transform them and change who they are and their actions and their thoughts and their behaviors. And so here's the deal. Talking about your faith can be a pretty challenging thing because on a large measure, you may feel totally unprepared to do so. And, and I want to help with that. And so in the starting weeks, uh, or starting next week, um, I'm going to give you some, some tools to become more confident in what you believe. But here, here's your part. You need to understand the most important tool that you have is not your knowledge. Your knowledge is not going to make Christianity desirable or magnetic to others. It is your self-sacrificial love generosity and humility to people that don't know Jesus. So my question for you this week is this. In what ways could you be blemishing the good news of the gospel because of the bad decisions you're making in your lifestyle? I'll say the question again. In what ways could you be blemishing the good news of the gospel because of bad decisions you are making in your lifestyle? See, that is what you and I are going to be accountable for. You're not going to be accountable for knowing the cosmological argument. You're going to be accountable for the way that you're living. And see, Peter's saying, yeah, answers are great. 
And, and, and we'll get to all that. But what's really important is that if you say you believe what you believe, that you live a lifestyle that reflects that proclamation that you are a person who loves Jesus. In fact, what's interesting is, is in, in the book of John, Jesus, uh, he's recording what Jesus is saying, and, and Jesus says some interesting things. He, he doesn't say that you're gonna, people are going to identify you with, like, like, like with a certain amount of knowledge, like you're going to be the most intelligent people, you're going to have the highest paying jobs or anything. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, people are going to know you are my follower by this. It says this in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's all people are going to know that you follow Jesus. Not by some apologetics argument. And I'm super into it. I'm going to get my master's in apologetics. But the most important thing is what we care. is our lifestyle, our, our love for people. I got a phone call recently from a family um, that said they needed to urgently sit down with me. And it was on my day off. And so I was like, sure, I, 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 could, I could come into the office. And so they said that on the phone that, that their son needed me to, to mediate the conversation between uh, the two parents because the son was going to share something the parents have never heard and, and really wanted me to be there. And so uh, I said, sure, I came into the office, and, and uh, they sat down, and the kid was, was just shaking. And I was like, hey, well, what's going on, man? Like, why are we here today? And he, so he started sharing some stories about how he was just getting intensely bullied at school. And how the bullying has just gotten to a place that he, he was on his phone, and he was sitting on his bed, and no one was home, and he kept getting, like, a bunch of text messages from people out of school saying that he should, someone was forwarding to him and saying he, sh- he shouldn't, he should commit suicide. So he walked down the stairs, went over to his, the gun cabinet that his parents had that he knew the combo to, grabbed the only gun they had, put a bullet in the chamber, walked up to his room, sat on his bed, lifted the gun to his head, and just was weeping. As he was pressing the trigger down, he glanced up and he saw a picture of me, him, and a few other guys two years ago at a Christian camp, Hume Lake. He put the gun down and decided there were people outside of his immediate family that loved and cared for him. And so that was worth living for. As he was telling this in my office, I was like, <laughs> I was like, <clears throat> you know, like, and then he, he, he read us his suicide letter the reason he wanted to do it. And on the back of it, he wrote all of our names were the, the people in that photo and he said, never again will I do this and signed it. See, he put the gun down and I was able to pray with him at that moment and he, and he gave his life over to Christ. In fact, in a few weeks, in three weeks, two weeks, he's, he's getting baptized. But not because a, a group of people had answers, but because at some point in his life, there were people that deeply loved him and cared for him. That is our job. There are people in your life that are going through some incredibly difficult things that can't shoulder the weight of that on their own. That's our job, to come alongside them, to love them unconditionally. That's what love is, by the way. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person to bring that person to a right standing before God. Anything that makes that its outcome, that is what love is, and that's our job. We are to live a life that is honoring our faith and honors our God. And so here's the question you must have an answer for. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? I want you to answer that this week. Why is your hope anchored to this guy that lived thousands and thousands of years ago? And, and I really want to help you with this. And I believe all of our answers should make, look very similar to what Peter's look like. I think my answer and your answer should include the resurrection 
In fact, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. See, the resurrection is the most important event in human history if it's real. If it's not real, it's, it's, it's pathetic. Our, we should be made fun of. But if it is real, it changes some things. And it's a historical event. Your faith, my faith, is not based on the Bible. It's based on a historical event. We can say, did it happen? If it did happen, and that means that Jesus was who we claimed to be. And that changes some things. And you're saying, well, yeah, the resurrection's, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally hear what you're saying. And some of you are saying, no, no, I'm a Christian because uh, uh, I was a mess and, and now I have purpose. Or I was an addict and now I am, I'm not. And yes, all that's true. And, and, and that's part of your story, which needs to be a part of the way you share Jesus with people. But all of those things can be true about your past only because Jesus isn't on the cross any longer. The reason you are a different person is because Jesus is alive. And the reason you think he is alive is because of the resurrection. And so I want us to get comfortable with understanding the historicity of the resurrection, which in turn will allow us to be more comfortable with sharing our faith with other people. And so there are two things I, I want to leave with you guys today. The first is this. One, I want you to bring something for you to take notes with next week. We're, we're going to examine the evidence, extra biblical evidence, and the, 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 and the, the text of the resurrection, and we're going to decipher it. Given the evidence is the most logical and coherent um, answer for the evidence that's given. That's the first thing. Bring some notes or your phone or whatever it is. We're going to take some notes next week. And the second thing is, I, I really want you to save a seat for somebody. I want you to save a seat for someone you want to be here next week. I want you to invite somebody. I'm certain there is someone in your life who needs to hear about the resurrection, but not from a fairy tale, but from the pages of history. Let me pray for us.